Well, good morning, New Life Church. The Bible gives so many names and attributes to God. It calls Him so many things. And I've got to ask you, if you know, what one quality of God does the Bible mention more than any other? What do you think it would be? Do you think it would be the love of God? Is that the most popular quality in the Bible? Maybe the power of God or the grace of God or the mercy of God? Well, you might be surprised to find out that the one attribute the Bible mentions more than any other in all of Scripture is the holiness of God. Look at someone and say, God is holy. In fact, the Bible mentions this 637 times. God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. It is the only attribute to be mentioned in triplicate. Right? We read about this in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, where we hear that in heaven, the heavens are saying, holy, holy, holy. The heavens are not saying, by the way, God, you are love, love, love. God, you are kindness, kindness. God is God, you are compassion, compassion, compassion. No. The one quality, the only one in all the scripture that gets measured and mentioned in triplicate is the holiness of God. Now, if I were to think of the most religious sounding word, I don't think I could top it more than holy. Right? Holy is such a religious, Christian sounding word. Some of you, when you grew up, you went to a church and as you walked in the door, there was holy water. And then you would sit there and you would enjoy some holy communion. And then you'd meet a girl and later you would enter a holy matrimony. And then you would go on holiday to a trip to the holy land, all the while speaking to and enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit. In our culture, they don't treat it the same. Unfortunately, the word holy is very often linked to another word that isn't holy at all. When people get angry, I'm not going to mention that word because we want to be holy. Sometimes they link it to other things. People say, holy cow, holy moly, holy smokes, right? Holy. It's interesting to see how this, the world has interpreted this word holy. Some people even make this joke of holy hell. And I'm like, God, if there's one thing that's not holy, it's going to be hell, Right? Then, then you hear people talking about Christians, and they use the word holy. They look at us Christians and say, oh, those people, they're holier than thou. Right? And what do they say? Our Christians, we're the ones, like, we turn our nose up at people. We're judgmental. We're rude. We put ourselves above them, like, oh, we the goody two-shoes. We're holier than thou. Right? It's amazing how this word is used, and yet, even though, according to the Bible, this is the most popular, most used most attributed quality of God, I would argue that when it comes to you and I, human beings, it's probably the least popular. The holiness of God also happens to be one of the least things that Christians think about, dwell on, and focus on, because there are other attributes about God that make us feel good. And so we, we like to really spend our time thinking about the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God the compassion of God, the kindness of our God, the provision of our God. Like there's other qualities of God that it's just nicer to dwell on. 
And so they're more attractive to us. But today I want us to look at what does the Bible say? If, if this, according to the Bible, is the most important, most mentioned attribute, then what does the Bible say about holiness? What does it say? Clearly the Bible thinks this is something really important for you and I to get our minds around. I mean, it mentions it more than any other. So what does the Bible say about holiness? And so we're going to jump right into one of the texts I've already quoted in Isaiah chapter 6. If you've got the New Life app, all the notes are preloaded there. Go have a look. If you've got your Bible, join me in Isaiah chapter 6. And it says this from verse 1. It was a year King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. I want to give you just a bit of background on who King Uzziah was. He was the king of the nation. He actually took over the kingdom when he was just 16 years old. And he ruled and reigned for 52 years. And for the most part, he was a good king. He was a godly king. So he brought a lot of stability to the nation. In their minds, if the king was good and godly, that means God would be favorable to the nation. And so that had a lot of kind of peace under the rule and reign of King Uzziah. So you can imagine the, die, the day that King Uzziah dies. I mean, he had been ruling for half a, over half a century, and now he's gone. You can imagine this nation suddenly up in arms. Everything's unstable. Everything's unsure. They're not sure what's going to happen. They're not sure what the future holds, right? Because their stability had just gone. The world had just been shaken. And it's in this state of instability and fear and wondering and anxiety. I love that it's in this place because a lot of people feel like that today about the world. They look at the world and they get fear and anxiety. They feel the instability. They feel the conflict. They're not sure what the future holds. But according to Isaiah, and the year King Uzziah died, I looked to the Lord and where did I see him? He is still seated on the throne and his train still fills the temple and the angels still sing, holy, holy, holy. And I want you to know, and the year King Uzziah dies in your life, when there is instability, when things come crumbling down, when things don't go according to plan, the Lord is still on his throne. Nothing will remove him from that. No matter how dark the world gets, no matter how crazy the country gets, no matter how complicated your family gets, none of it takes God off his throne. At not one moment in time does God get worried. At not mo one moment does he wring his hands with anxiety. Does he start to rub his temples? Does he start to look at the world and go, oh, my word, what are they doing? No, 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 the Lord, he's on his lofty throne and the train of his robe fills the temple, and the angels still sing, holy, 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 and the whole world is filled with his glory. Church, I want you to know that. In the midst of crazy instability, nothing has changed where God is. He is still in control. He is still sovereign. He's still Lord of all. Look at someone and say, God is still in his throne. And so these angels, in the middle of chaos, and instability, when people are filled with worry and fear, 
the angels sing holy, holy, holy. Now, this word holy in the Hebrew is the word kadosh. Everyone say kadosh. That's what the angels would have been singing in their language. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Now, there's a reason they said it three times. In the Hebrew language, if you wanted to really emphasize something, you would mention it in triplicate. This would be like putting a highlighter to your text, like underlining it, like circling it, like saying, this is something that's really important. Pay attention here. In English, we do it, but we just do it in the double. Like, I really, really want that, right? You should really, really stop. So we like to, if we want to bring emphasis, we would like, we do it twice. But if you went to school with a Hebrew kid and they wanted to emphasize something, they wouldn't be like, well, that's a cool kid. They'd be like, well, that's a cool, cool, cool kid. Like, you should really, really, really stop that. In the Hebrew language, when you wanted to emphasize something, you would do it in triplicate. You would say it three times. And so the only quality of God the Hebrews writers really wanted to emphasize, the only quality that they mentioned in triplicate was the holiness of God. This was their way of bringing attention to saying, hey, you should look at this. We want to emphasize this quality. But what does it mean to be holy? We hear this word. We use it in odd ways. And now even the world uses this word. But what does this word mean? What does holiness mean? And the easiest way to understand holiness is with one English word, separate. Everyone say separate. Holiness means a separation. Something that's being set apart. Something that we separate and then we elevate in value. We say this thing is more important. This thing is more valued. You do this, by the way, in your life. Some of you have dishes in your cupboard. You have set them apart. You have deemed them holy because you're only allowed to use them when the guests come over. Right? You reserve these dishes These plates and these cups, you and your kids do not use them for daily use. They are holy. Some of you do this with the clothes in your cupboard. You have some fancy clothes that you reserve for the fancy occasions, right? You treat them differently. You put them in a different section. Some of you wrap them, those clothes, that suit and that dress, right? You treat it with care. You have elevated its importance and you have separated it out of daily use because it is now set apart. You have deemed those clothes to be Holy. This is holiness. God is set apart. What's he set apart from? Everything and everyone. What is he above? Everything and everyone. What's he more valuable than? Everything and everyone. All of creation, from all of creation, God is being called holy, holy, holy. More than any else, he is separate and lifted in value, high above all else. That's what the holiness of God is. It tells us this in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? There is no one like him. No one holy like our God. No one is separate. No one is elevated. No one is high. No one is valuable than our God. He's the holy one. And he'll always be the holy one. Because last week we learned that God never changes, which means he is ever holy. He's ever holy. He'll always be the holy one, ever holy. And I want you to know that when you see the holiness of God, it will change you. 
When you come face to face with the holiness of God, it changes you. It impacts you. And I think this is why the devil doesn't like us to dwell on the topic of the holiness of God. He doesn't want you to behold the holiness of God because he knows the holiness of God will have a transforming impact upon your life. He knows that when you gaze upon the holiness of God, you cannot help but to respond with your life. And how do you respond to the holy? When you start to see, when you start to behold his holiness, how does it change you? Well, let's see what happened to Isaiah as he beheld the holiness of God. This happens to him in Isaiah 6 and verse 5. I want you to picture this. King Uzziah died, instability. He sees the Lord high and lifted, holy, holy, holy. And as he sees God in that state, his response is this. It is all over. I am doomed, for I'm a sinful man. He looks at the holiness of God and says, I have filthy lips. And I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it. And he said, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. It's this beautiful interaction, seeing how Isaiah responds to the holiness of God. And I want us to look at maybe what Isaiah did do, but also what he didn't do. And it might be interesting to you that what Isaiah didn't do was join in the worship. Isaiah doesn't join in to the worship of God. He doesn't join in singing holy, 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 because as he beholds the holiness of God, he becomes so aware of his own unholiness. The holiness of God magnifies to him how unholy he is. And so as he for the first time sees who God truly is, now he sees who he truly is. And this is what happens when you and I start to behold the holiness of God. We start to get an accurate presentation, a representation, an accurate picture of who we truly are. In the holiness of God, I see who I am. And God didn't have to ask Isaiah to do anything. God didn't prompt him. God didn't say anything. It was just seeing God in his true form that caused repentance in Isaiah. This is something the holiness of God does. The holiness of God brings repentance in me. And you look at this and you see what Isaiah said He's a prophet who speaks on behalf of God, and yet in the presence of God, he says, my lips, my lips are unclean. And it's kind of confusing because you think, Isaiah, what do you use your lips for? You use your lips to speak on behalf of God, and yet Isaiah even knows that even in the presence of God's holiness, even the most holy part of him seems unclean now. Because it's nothing compared to how holy God is. It's nothing compared to how perfect and pure and above and valued God is. And so he looks at his most holy part and says, God, this is unclean. I have unclean lips. And it leads him to repentance. Billy Graham says, it's only when we understand the holiness of God that we will understand the depth of our own sin. And church, this happens time and time again as people encounter the holiness of God in Scripture. They have the same reaction. You look at Job. Man, Job, in human terms, Looks so holy. God is like, he's my, he's my beloved one. I mean, 
you can test him, devil. You can do what you want. He's going to stay faithful to me. God signaled him out. And yet Job, at the end of Job, when he sees God, when he beholds God, he says, God, as I see you, I abhor myself. I hate myself. You know, it's easy to look holy when you compare yourself to your friends. Next to your friends, you're Mr. Holy, but next to God, you're Mr. Unholy. It is the holiness of God that reveals the unholiness in us. Same thing happens to Peter. Remember Peter with Jesus? And early on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus goes to Peter. Peter had been fishing all night, caught nothing. Frustrated, you can imagine, coming to the shore. Jesus goes to Peter and says, hey, Peter, let's go out and cast those nets again. Can you imagine Peter's like, uh... I'm the fisherman, you're the preacher. I'm not telling you how to do your job. Don't tell me how to do my job. Like, he's like, okay, Jesus, I'll humor you. I'll go. They go out into the water. Jesus says, cast your nets here. Cast his nets there. Suddenly, they're catching so much fish. They don't know what to do with it. They can't even get it all. It's going to bring the boat down. And Peter, in that moment, sees Jesus for who he is. And as he sees Jesus for who he is, his words are this, Lord, depart from me. I'm not worthy, I'm a sinful man. You see, when we behold the holiness of God, it brings us to a place of repentance where we realize who we truly are, how far from holiness we truly are. Think of it this way, those of you with the talent, some of you in this room might think you're a good singer. Does anyone think they're a good singer? Lift your hands for me. I'm going to be recruiting you to our band, so be careful if you lift your hand. You might think you're a good singer because you sound great in the shower with all the echo, right? But then imagine we had to come here and, and like have you compare yourself to one of the great singers in the world, whoever you might think that is. Maybe now we have to compare you to like Kelly Clarkson or Whitney Houston or Bono, right? And suddenly, are you such a great singer? Right? You might think you're a good golfer. Anyone in this room think they play golf well? Okay, some hands. Right, try doing a, a round with Tiger Woods. Like it's literally a different ball game now. Because it very much depends who we're comparing ourselves to when we call ourselves good at anything. Max Lucado put it this way. He says, you don't impress NASA officials with a paper airplane. You don't boast about your crayon sketches in the presence of Picasso. So show me a prideful person, and I'll show you someone who's never met God. Wow. Show me a prideful person, I'll just show you someone who's never met God. You see, seeing God's holiness will change you. It gives you a, as you see the, God's true nature, you also see your own true nature. That's why I cringe, guys, when I hear some people talk about God. Sometimes I hear how Christians talk about God, I'm like, oh, and, you know, I've heard Christians say this to me, like, when I go to heaven one day, I've got to have a word with God. Well, what happened here? I have a bone to pick with him. Listen, you ain't going to be picking no bones. You're going to be lying flat on your face as if you were dead. That's what happened to John when he saw God. He just fell flat on his face as if he was dead. I don't know if I should move. The holiness of God. Oh, don't, don't go thinking you're going to be starting arguments with God. Are you kidding me? You're going to see yourself for who you truly are. You're going to see yourself in the presence of God and the holiness of God. You'll see yourself so accurately. 
And so in this place, in this attitude, as he gazes upon God's holiness, it causes Isaiah to repent. But I want you to notice this, that he sees his own sin first before he points out the sin of others. He says, my lips are unclean. He realizes that first, and he says, and I just live amongst people whose lips are unclean. But he first sees his own sin. This is what the holiness of God will do in your life, by the way. Self-righteousness does the opposite. And often, as Christians, we quickly become self-righteous because we see ourselves as holy, which means what? We set apart ourselves apart and above others. And so I look at others who I don't deem as holy. I look down on them, and we're like, oh, we really need to pray for her. Did you see what she's wearing today? Who comes to church like that? Oh, my word. Did you hear what they did? Oh, terrible. And they call themselves like Christian. This is self-righteousness, seeing the sin of others before you can see it in yourself. And yet in the presence of God's holiness, Isaiah couldn't help but first see his own shortcomings before he was bothered about the shortcomings of the people around him. He first saw himself. The holiness of God changes you. It causes you to see yourself, to become undone. When he's like, oh, Lord, I'm undone. Woe is me. And I love that as Isaiah comes to God with repentance, that God immediately responds with forgiveness. It's this beautiful image because God in this picture is the one who initiates forgiveness. The moment Isaiah repents, God sends a seraphim with a coal to touch his lips. And why did he come and touch Isaiah's lips? He touched his lips because Isaiah had confessed that his lips were unclean. So God came and touched the place that he confessed had sin in it. This is often God's redeeming work in our life. As he comes and he starts to refine us where we come with repentance, he will come with the coal of refining fire and he will start to work in our minds as we acknowledge that there are things in our minds that are not of God. He will come in our marriage. He will come and bring a refining work in our hearts. He will come with our speech. He will come to our eyes wherever we Wherever we acknowledge, God, I'm, I have sin here. I, I fall short of holiness here. I'm falling short of your standard here. You see, as we come to God and we behold his holiness, it leads us to repentance. But then repentance leads to forgiveness. And God is so free to give this forgiveness. This is what he says to us, I, your sins are forgiven. You're forgiven. You've, you've been atoned for. This is what he's done for us in the New Testament. Listen to this in Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows us his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is holy. He's so holy, but in his holiness, he's made a way to make us holy. Guys, this is why we get excited about this good news. This is what the good news is, that a holy God has come for unholy people. He's come to save unholy people. You see, here's the issue with holiness and our unholiness is that holiness cannot coexist with unholiness. Look at someone and say, holiness and unholiness don't go together. It's like water and oil, guys. They don't go together. They don't mix. And so God, if he wants a relationship with us, like he's got one of two options. He can either destroy us 
for our unholiness, or He can give us a method to remove our unholiness. And I'm so grateful that God has not decided to destroy us. Now, He's not above that. And one day He will do that. He will destroy the unholy. But in this season of humanity, we're in, we're in a season called grace. And in the season of grace, God has made a way for you and I to get rid of our unholiness, to get rid of our sin. In the Old Testament, it was through the sacrificing of animals that God prophesied that there would be a time where the one and only sacrifice, the true Lamb of God would come and He would atone for the sins of the world. And now, as we go through life and as we, through the, as we behold the holiness of God and come and repent, we can be faithful and just that God will forgive us of our sins. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness because we have Jesus. He makes us holy. He makes us holy. And as Isaiah stands there, you, you must imagine, this must be pretty overwhelming to see the holiness of God, see your sin. And in that moment, your sin is forgiven. So now he's standing there as a holy one in the presence of the holy one. What does Isaiah's response next? He can't help but offer up his life to God. In fact, this is what he says in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, who should I send as a messenger to the people? Who will go for us? And I, Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Send me. Because of your holiness, because of your forgiveness, because of your mercy, you've made me holy. Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Just tell me what the assignment is, Lord. I'm up. I'm game. I'm yes. It's a yes from me, Lord. I'll give what I need to give and love who I need to love and forgive who I need to forgive and go where I need to go. Just, it's a yes from me, Lord. How can I not respond with a yes when you have just cleansed me from all my sin and unholiness? Lord, this life is yours. See, the holiness of God leads us to repentance. Repentance leads us to forgiveness, but the forgiveness of God leads us to service. When we realize that we've been cleansed, when we realize we've been forgiven, it's like, God, okay, nothing about my life is off limits. What do you need? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me, and I wonder, church, as you and I start to really behold the holiness of God, because I think this is a great way to just at the beginning of our year, get God in his rightful place in our life. I think at the beginning of the year, if we can behold the holiness of God, and if we could hold this position for the whole of the year and say, God, for this year, I want to behold how holy you are. I want to set you above, separate from everything else in my life. You are above, you are holy, holy, holy. If we could just behold the holiness of God, what I know what would happen is that sin in our life would not become something we play with and make friends with and call acceptable, but instead we would live a life of repentance and confession. And then we would know, we would not be condemned, but we would know that as we confess, He's faithful, He's just, He forgives us. And as we experience being cleansed by this holy God, our life will become total use for Him. We'll so willingly say, God, use me, send me. What do you need from me? God, I'm yours, my life is yours. My everything is yours. Guys, if you can behold the holiness of God, I want to tell you, it will shake you. 
it will shake you. And some of you, you have felt like the world has been made so unstable. But in the middle of chaos, I want to tell you, God is still on the throne. If we would just look to him, behold him, focus on him, be aware of who he is. I mean, when lost, were you just stunned? When lost, were you overcome by the holiness of God? When lost, were you just in awe that he's so holy and perfect and above all else? When lost, did you just focus and behold his beauty? And his holiness. Because if you would do that, it will change you. And I'm so thankful, church. I'm so thankful we have a Savior who did not come for the holy, but the unholy like me. He came for the ones with unclean lips. He came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He didn't come for those who have their lives figured out. He came for those who don't. I'm so grateful that through Jesus Christ, you and I can find holiness. We can find freedom from all our bad decisions. We can find forgiveness. But if we truly understand how we've been forgiven, how can we not then freely give up our lives? Say, God, you've bought this life anyway. It's yours. And so what I want to invite us to do today, I wouldn't be doing this message justice if I didn't give us a moment to just think about the holiness of God. Can you stand to your feet? And I want to invite you to do that anywhere. If you're listening to this, if you're watching this, if you're in the overflow area, maybe at home, if you're here in the hall, I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And as we end the service today, I want us to behold the holiness of God. I want us to be aware that God is above all things. He is set apart. He's higher in value. He's supreme in authority. Right now, as you're standing, he is on the throne. And the trail of his robe still fills the temple. Right now, the angels still sing, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with your glory, which means right now where we are, this place is filled with the glory of the Lord. So I'm going to read this to you again from Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Churches focus on the holy one. Jesus, you are holy, holy. And I want to say that even as you begin to behold his holiness, you might feel in that moment, like there is unconfessed things in your life that you might want to repent of. Maybe you're struggling with some issue in your life. Maybe there's something in your thoughts, something in your behavior, something in your relationship, something in your work ethic, things going on that shouldn't be so. And as you behold God's holiness, I want you to know that you can so, so freely repent. 
so freely confess. Because as you do, there is forgiveness. God initiates the forgiveness. And he does it freely. And you can feel that burden lift off of you. You can feel the burden of, of guilt be taken off of you. You can receive forgiveness so confidently. And as you do, as you see yourself being made holy, I hope your response is the same as Isaiah's, where you say, here I am, Lord. You've made me holy. You've made me good for your use. What do you want to use me for? Where do you want to send me? What do you want to do with my life? And so let's just behold right now the holiness of God.